Chapter 41 Outlook Not So Good I'm digital. This is a first-person shooter morbid RPG. I can't feel my body, but I'm controlling it. I'm one couch removed from the screen and guiding my character through dark mountains. A lightning bolt here, another there. Fall, get up. We're in two-player mode. Yolandi helps lift me. I'm not here. I'm somewhere else. My eyes tell the story. Remy! She doesn't ask if I'm okay. Simply says, keep going. Come on! So we do. The mountains are a bilexic host of misread intention, split and opposed. They do not want us here, but insist we stay forever. Every other step is a slip. Every stone a skewer. My hands and knees are cut to shit. My black blood appears blue by lightning, and I catch myself staring. The stitches in Miri's goddess arm are shredded away, gone. The stitches over my heart are ripped. Everything is falling apart. Yolandi sheds her pack, helps me remove mine. There's nothing behind us anymore. We keep moving. Steering by a very simple map, our entire guidance system is but one arrow, one objective, higher. Any ground that slants up, we take it. We chase the lightning, most literal, and it chases back. Its next target is a flowing puddle shared by Yolandi's right foot. Blue slams down and bolts crawl through her from the bottom up. I hear her crackle. I see her glow and I watch her collapse. But a scratch. Yolandi is an electric beast and she is standing again. Unbelievable. Her eyes are wide, too wide. Can, can, best thing, always I will, I make, it's a promise. And she's speaking gibberish. I take her hand. It's hot. Come on, I tell her. Follow me. Best on me, let em. Not encouraging words, but she understands. I lead the way. Up. Down, up, left, up, right, up. Our consecutive coordinates stack like a cheat code, and I keep hoping to teleport to the top. No such fortune. Up, left, up, and the terrain flattens. A steady deck in this storm. I plant my feet firmly and take a moment to appreciate it. Rain on my tongue, a body on my belly. Three slanted bolts break the air like a compound fracture and illuminate the scene. We aren't alone. I rush to see his side. Yolandi follows. See ya, Haruki! I shake her shoulder. Haruki's head is in her lap. I touch her face. Brad is there too, balanced somehow on his back, four legs pointing straight. See ya, wake up! Go to sleep. Wake up! Go to sleep. See ya, wake up. And she does. They all do. See ya reanimates with a quick jolt. Haruki, a slow one. Brad tips over. They're here. Our friends are here. I realize I'd completely forgotten them. See ya turns back on with a gasp. One so big it could breathe the whole sky in. She looks away I've never seen her eyes speaking sentences I didn't know she could write. Death and fear, losing. 
Wide awake, she scans her current reality, downloads it, restarts. She lifts Haruki to sitting and gets up, touching all over Miri and me like we're some sort of miracle. Blah! Blah! Brad is very happy to see Yolandi. He nuzzles her, wagging his nubbed tail. Still slightly dazed, she returns the love, rubbing faces, scratching behind ears, kissing. All very nasty. What's wrong with him? In the pouring rain, Haruki looks plastic. I move closer. Haruki, are you okay? His eyes address me, but that is all. He doesn't speak. Sia reroutes my question to Yolandi. Tell us, tell him. No blame, no incrimination, but demanding. Tell the truth, it's the cut. Yolandi kneels beside Haruki. Yes, she takes his arm, examines the wound. Yes, it is. Lightning and thunder talk over as she informs him, you will die. Her new catchphrase. A bold statement, imminently irrevocable in implication, and no one is surprised to hear it, Haruki least of all. He's already done it once and knows the routine. His concerns are but one. Sammy. His lip makes the shape, not the sound. I'm sorry. I don't know. Yolandi means it. She is sorry. Haruki's eyes roll away. He'll search for Sammy on the inside instead. He refuses to die without him. A sad scene to observe. Sia's sympathy is superseded. We have to leave. Now. Frighteningly sincere, I can tell she has inside info I'd rather live without. We have to get married to the temple. Nothing else matters. My personal truth would omit the else from that statement, but she seems to know better. I take Sia at her word, help to lay Haruki's body over Brad, and once again we're moving. The storm is a hunter. Electricity lands like buckshot, spraying everything. Each step is a probable last, each breath the same. Rocks fall and lightning cleaves the mountain away, easy as soft shale. Miri's back absorbs a basketball-sized boulder with my name on it, and her ribs readjust like Jenga sticks. I can feel the pieces moving. Up we go. A slant of blue slams down perfectly and gets Brad to repeat Yolandi's conduit trick. Goat legs buckle to steamed fluff collapsed in a mound. Receiving all runoff, Haruki quivers to the excess voltage. No harm. Might even do him some good. Blank? Blue! Brad is learning new words. Wobbly and most shaken, but he's up. We reach another plateau. No stopping. We climb higher and higher, higher still. Growing thin, moisture-soaked, and baked with organic light, the air of this impossible ascent is a strange soup to breathe. It tastes like a burnt, then chilled broth of moldy book pages, a hero's journey soggied to shriveled comedy. Coughing, falling down, and crying about my hurt heart, I'm a perfectly pathetic protagonist. 
We keep climbing, and the point of this plot is a peak which does not exist. The author is an idiot, and I am his clown. My life is a 100,000-word joke that no one gets, and suddenly lightning ignites the punchline. Night explodes to neon. Clouds glow like stage lighting. Everything comes into view. I can see for miles through the rain. My city is burning. The forest is on fire. The faces of my friends are ghost masks. And the mountain does have an ending. Floating above us, seated at the top of the world, the Ascension Temple looks down. It's real. It is a real thing. And I still don't believe it. Fifty stories higher than me, white marble is stained black in shadowed relief to the seething blue crackling behind it. Large pillars, sharp corners, and just like Sammy's poster, there is a hole in the roof. That hole's where bodies float away, where spirits depart, where people leave you forever. I hold on to Miri as tight as I can. Lightning pops and the clouds go out. The world returns to a blacklit strobe show and the temple is gone. I want to turn around. We can make it! Eyeballs fire bright. My friends are looking at me, telling me, come on, we can make it! Even the insect cut of Haruki's dying diamonds are wearing a new twinkle. This is good news to everyone but me. Come on, Remy! Yolandi takes one wrist, Sia the other, and I follow them. Flat ground makes for easy going as we push toward the final incline. My black heartbeat pounds hard and thunder rumbles in compliment. Crescendic theme music to conclude this drama. Forward we go, last pages flipping fast. Speed, energy, momentum. Until Brad falls off a cliff, almost. He fumbles backward and lands on his rear. Blah! Warning the rest of us to stop. And just in time, Sia slides to a quick halt, losing one dangled leg over the edge. Very close. Split clean in two, the mountain divides before us, a hundred bottomless feet separating where we are from where we need to be. To left and right, sheer walls lock us in. Ahead, the chasm drops like a black moat guarding the mountaintop. Touching T's to sight, clouds turn on and off again, flashing the ascension temple in and out of view, a life-giving dangle to the dying and starved, offered in jest, pulled back and not given. Wind howls upward from the dark divide like a laughing tornado, and everything feels right again. No finale, I don't deserve it. My story will be a fizzled erasure. We pace, we think pacing, thinking. We need a plan. There's no plan. Thrashing and lashes from the chasm, wind outscreams thunder. It's wild and alive, whipping rain like bee stings onto cheeks. Can't think. My skin burns and my bones are soggy. The wind is a billion balloon parade pulled tight at the mouth and emptying its air in dog whistle decibels. Can't hear a thought. Pacing, going crazy. Brad is having a very hard time with this. Goat hooves don't cover ears. They don't guard eyes. Blah! His simple mind is hurting. 
For the comfort of it, he begins to rut. He's an animal. Asked to the wind, he shovels his legs backward, scratching away the mountain ground and flinging it in chunks. Wet dirt and rocks scooped and thrown behind. His hoof connects with a larger one. Brad's upset. He kicks until it's dislodged. A powerful rut stroke and the rock is airborne, lifted like a lottery ball in the swift chasm wind and tossed easily to the other side. Promising coordinates. Brad repeats the experiment, a bigger rock this time. Same result. It's carried by the wind and deposited on the opposite side of the chasm. A plan. Who's first is a question need not be asked. The food chain here is more than obvious. My eyes embrace the wet goad in front of me, telling Brad, be brave. We're all with you. We'll be right behind you. Blah. No, thank you. Brad is not volunteering. Yolandi is. Sprint speed clocking in at death wish pace. Without a word, she rushes past, leaps at the edge, and is full swan dive. The action comes less than graceful, and her landing is a rough one, but she makes it. The wind howls louder. Safe on the other side, Yolandi stands. She looks to the mountaintop, to the temple, then back to us. Her arms are waving, motioning for Brad to come on. She's calling out the same, but it's impossible to hear. Strange to see someone scream without a sound. I lose myself in the effect, only for a moment. Brad takes a knee as Sia and I help remove Haruki. Now a much lighter mass, Brad feels better about his chances. He acquires some runway. A couple ruts for footing, a deep sniff, a blink of contemplation, and he takes off. Quick strides, good speed. Hooves meet the edge with a strong push, and behold, a flying goat appears before me. Flayed limbs, flapping gums, and breezy tufts of poof, Brad is a successful launch. Senses optimistic and all systems check, but Yolandi's fortune is not his, and Brad's flight is quickly redirected. Gathering with intention, the wind takes him. Mid-leap and not but long, black fall beneath, Brad is caught in a personal twister, spinning and spinning. A too-fast-to-follow blur, his blah finds my ears like a twirling siren. The wind is playing with him. But so sad and so it goes, every game must end. Brad is flung from an orbit unspun and shot across the gap with force, cracked against the rocky ascent rising behind Yolandi. His broken body tumbles to her feet. Bloody mouth, bulging eyes. The wind is not through. Cyclone for a fist, it gathers Brad again and again slams his body to the wall. Once more for good measure, and the pulverized pile of goat is left to feel itself to suffer excruciatingly. Again, I see screams, but can't hear a thing. Howling, laughing, the wind returns to its nest and awaits the next contestant. I'd like to bid on Brad's showcase. I want nothing more than exactly what he just received. Before Sia can stop me, I approach the edge, turn myself around, and trust fall backward. 
My eyes slide away from hers, paint across the mountains and fix to the sky. It's black and blue and loud and on fire, and I'm falling too fast to feel the rain. Miri's hair is blowing loose from her scalp. The rushing wind leans her head back and peels her eyelids open. We're looking at each other. Miri's irises are evergreen, eternally emerald. I love you, Miri. I kiss her lips and wait for our bodies to crush into something. She tastes funny and doesn't kiss back. No benefit to my bottom line, our gravitational agreement is unexpectedly renegotiated. We're no longer falling down, but floating up. I'm heavy. Miri is not. Her body is a broken parachute pulling me the wrong way. Air is flowing between us, quick and strong, pushing our bellies apart. The wind is lifting her, not me. Strong tugs at the harness straps relegate me to excess baggage undesired. Higher we go, back to where we started. Yolandi and Sia wait on either edge of the divide, watching helplessly as things turn violent. The wind wants to rip us apart, keep her, lose me. But the prospect of dying without Miri is bad poetry, and I refuse to sign my name to it. I won't let go. I hug onto her with all I've got. Miri's goddess arm is flapping like crazy, keeping rodeo balance, tearing more and more at the seams. Our skulls are clapping together. I think my nose is broken, hers too. Twisting and thrashed about, shaken as well as stirred, the wind choreographs with a cruelty slam dancing my organs together. Miri's eyes are a hard jostle inside their sockets, her irises swimming forward, then away, like epileptic magic eight-ball answers. Better not tell you now. A harness strap rips clean in half. Outlook not so good. Another gives away. You may rely on it. Thunder, lightning. I'm losing Miri. Sia drops her pack, the last of our supplies, and jumps. By well intentions, ill-applied, she lands on Miri's back with a whiplash pressure breaking the final two straps. I'm caught by an armpit, dangling, my other arm reaching a handful of broken fingers to Miri, barely touching. I can't grip, can't hold. Sia manages a reach around and pulls me back in. We're a Miri sandwich, all three of our skulls banging out a closed loop concussion. Sia's face splits. I'm minus a tooth, or a few. Blood is blowing everywhere, wild and ugly. Dead batteries recharged to red line percentage by the lightning in his veins. Haruki has an idea and moves to help. He forces a crawl, making his way to see his pack. With shiny fingers, he unzips it. With sticky hands, retrieves the rope. He crawls to the chasm's edge, stands, and by dying effort, throws the coil. He wants it to reach Yolandi on the other side for us to grab hold, for her to pull us to safety. It just might work, that's what he tells himself, and certainly can't hurt. His math is off. Haruki falls forward, sinks like a stone. The wind allows it, and Haruki is gone in the abyss. The rope is not a lifeline. Unspooling like a bag of flying snakes, it dances in and out of our three-bodied cluster, a constricted noose around Sia's neck, 
and the tandem design for Miri and me tie off to a fitting bow atop this pretty situation. Sia can't breathe, and my vision is growing spots. My eyes lose oxygen. My ears hum. Through the filter of asphyxiation, I see Yolandi on the other side. She's trying to tell me something. It seems important. So strange to watch someone screaming and not hear a thing. I like it. It's a nice sight to pass out to. I give Yolandi a blink. Sorry, can't hear you. Let my eyes shut and relax into the hum.